Now let me tell you a little bit about where we are headed in this sermon series coming up this fall. And I'll do that. Thanks, Wayne, for moving that over. Um, we are uh, going to be doing a topical series for four weeks here where we look at the mission of the church. We're going to talk about three of our core values about worship, about growing in Christ, and about serving using our gifts and ministry. And then after that series, we're going to move back to what I normally do. We're going to do a series in the book of Hebrews and that'll take us through much of this coming year. Uh, and then in our ABFs, and you've been there, many of you this morning, but our ABFs are doing a series called What Jesus Demands from the World. That's going to be a very challenging series to go along with this. And one of the reasons we um, do an all-church ABF series in the fall is so that if you're new or if you've never been part of an ABF before, it gives you a chance to check out a couple of them, see, you know, kind of where you, you feel like you fit, and everybody's doing the same topic. And so you can take a look at those different ABFs in the hour that you're a part of and find the one that's really the best fit for you. Uh, we encourage you to uh, attend there while your kids are in Sunday school and to be here for the whole morning, and that works out great. Because church is more than just what we do in our worship service. It's really about the relationships that we have to encourage us to continue to grow as followers of Christ. So today, I'm going to be talking about our mission and looking at this question, what on earth am I here for? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, thank you for this time of worship and praise, and now we come to hear from you, from your word. And I pray that you would guide me today in what I say and help us to listen as we think about your purpose and plans, not only for the church, but for us as individuals. And what is our role in your kingdom? What is it that you want each of us to do? Father, would you speak very clearly to each of us in Jesus' name? Amen. What on earth am I here for? Now that's a question that probably most of us have asked at some point in our life. I mean, if you're in high school or college and you're thinking about graduation and what comes next, you're thinking, you know, what am I going to do with my life? What is it I should major in? Or what is it that I really want to do as an occupation? If you're in your 20s and, you know, you're in a job that's not really your ideal job right now, but you're doing it because it's helping to pay the bills, you're probably wondering, how do I get from here to there? And God, what is it that you want me to do? Sometimes in our 40s, we do a mid-course evaluation, if you will, where we're looking at what, the way our life has gone and you wonder, Lord, is this your plan for me? Is there something more you want me to do, or is this the direction of my life, and am I using my gifts fully for you? And even when we come to those years where you're thinking about retiring or you are retired, that question comes up, Lord, what's next? What is it that you want me to do with the time that I have? Those are great questions to ask. And I can't tell you, you know, where you should work or where you should live or those kind of things, but I can tell you what God expects of all of us, regardless of our occupation. That is clear in Scripture, what he wants all of us to be doing. In John 4, 34, Jesus said to the disciples that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was clear on his mission. I mean, he knew why he had come. 
He came to be our Savior. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And he described it in this way that, that just sounds so um, clear. I mean, he, he described doing the will of God as being as basic as eating our daily bread. That my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven and to finish his work. It's interesting that that came up in the course of a conversation where the disciples were wondering about lunch. You know, where are we going to get something to eat? Or I wonder if Jesus has eaten yet. And Jesus picked up on that and stressed how important this was. Is that true of us? Is our highest aim in life to do what God asks? Is our highest aim in life to do our Father's will? You know, that takes surrender, doesn't it? That takes putting our life on the altar, being willing to do whatever he asks of us. And you know what's interesting in Scripture, though, is that Jesus tells us when we do that, God will take care of everything else. When we give our life fully to him, then he'll give us the direction that we need. He'll open the doors. He'll show us where to go or what we should do with our life. He'll provide for us. He gives us our daily bread. He meets our needs. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God understands our basic needs, but Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What on earth am I here for? Well, if I can borrow a phrase that's been used before, it is to know him and to make him known. To know him and to make him known in our world. We're going to take a look at those two things this morning. To know him. What does that mean? Well, Jesus answered that in John 17, 3, when he said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's to know God. And think about how amazing that is that we can have a personal relationship with the living God. We come to know him through Jesus Christ, this, this one, this God who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might see what he is like. We might learn from him. We might grow in our relationship with him. When God called the 12 to be his disciples, he stressed that he called them first of all so that they might be with him and then that he might send them out to preach. He called them to have this relationship with himself. He wanted them to know him, to understand who he is and who God is and his will for their life and then he would send them out to do ministry. Our relationship with Christ comes first. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is a follower or a learner, and the goal of a disciple is to become like his master, like his teacher. We are to become like Jesus Christ, and to do that, we need to know him well. What does a disciple look like then? Well, there are many passages we could go to, but I want to take us to John 15 this morning to answer that question. Because in John 15, Jesus gives us a good description of what it means to be a disciple. 
And I'm going to just read some of these verses and walk through it if you want to turn there to John 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. In verse 4, he said, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first thing that Jesus would say about a disciple is that he remains in Christ. He abides in Christ. He has this fellowship with him that is open, that's growing, it's healthy, it's strong. How do we maintain that? Well, he'll tell us that it is through the word and it's through prayer. In verse 7, he said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. That's the key. It's, it's to have this growing relationship with Christ where we are learning how to do that through the Word of God. We're understanding it, applying it in life. We're praying according to His will. And when we pray according to His will, He answers our prayers. And we see Him at work. And the fruit of that is that we will bear much fruit for Jesus. In verse 8, he said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Two things he emphasized there. If we are bearing fruit, then that glorifies God. That brings honor to our Father in heaven. And if we are bearing fruit, it also proves that we are a disciple, a follower of Christ. You know, this weekend I was out mowing the lawn, and I know many of us, we've been doing that all summer long, haven't we? It's been a great summer, a lot of rain, and so the grass is really growing, and it seems like we're out there pretty often. But I was mowing around our apple trees in the backyard, and I'm looking at them, and I noticed this one apple tree has this dead branch. It's just all shriveled. Obviously, something happened there, a disease or something that caused that life to be cut off. And that branch will never bear fruit as it is. In fact, the only thing you can do there is to cut it off so that it doesn't damage the rest of the tree. And Jesus talked about that. He being the vine, his father the vine dresser, and every branch that does not bear fruit he cuts off. When I look at other branches on those apple trees, you know, some are just so weighed down with fruit, they're actually sagging. They're waiting to be picked, you know, for these apples to ripen so that that Fruit can be harvested. And I think about that with those branches. They don't work to produce that fruit. All they need to do is be vitally connected to the trunk of the tree. They need to be healthy. And what happens when they are healthy and attached to that tree? They bear fruit. That's the natural thing they do. And when we are walking with Christ and we're in the Word and we're praying and we're growing in our relationship with Him, we will also bear fruit. That fruit will show up in evangelism as God uses us to introduce others to Christ. It shows up in discipleship when we are building into the lives of others and discipling and mentoring them so that they might grow in Christ. We see that fruit that comes from generous giving, giving of our time and resources, and God uses that to grow his kingdom. We see that fruit in encouragement when you come alongside of others to build them up in their faith. Or we see that fruit in answers to prayer when we pray according to his will.
That's the normal Christian life. That's what God wants for all of us. A disciple is also obedient. And look at verse 10. Look at what he says there. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Love and obedience go together. If we really love God as our Heavenly Father, we're going to want to please him. We're going to do what he asks. And John says in his letter, 1 John 5, 3, that his commandments are not burdensome. When you're growing in your relationship with God and you're learning to love him more, you understand that his laws or the things that he has commanded of us are not restrictions trying to take the joy out of life, but they're rather to protect us and to give us joy. Love and obedience go together. And as we obey him, we get to know him better. A believer has joy. That's found in verse 11. In the very next verse, he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. Jesus wants us to experience his joy. That, that again, is to be part of our experience as believers. Joy in our heart. Joy in seeing God use us. And to those of you who stood up and are serving in those different areas of ministry, I mean, when you see kids come to know Christ or you see them understanding who God is and how much he loves them, doesn't that just put a joy in your heart? Or when you see students who maybe have been walking away from God turn around, come back to him and are growing in that relationship with him, doesn't that just bless your heart? I love working with new Christians. I love their enthusiasm, their excitement when everything is so fresh and new and they're just soaking it in. It puts a smile on my face. It brings joy to my heart. That's the normal Christian life. And a disciple also has love. Verses 12 and 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us and he calls us friends. And he asks us to do the same, to lay down our life, to give of ourselves, to give of our time and our resources to bless others so that they might know him too. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to grow and to serve God in this way. And when we do that, we never know like how it's going to touch people around us in the community, but it is a powerful witness to the world. I was thinking of that this week when I've been walking over to talk to the guy who's working on the property next door. You know, we bought that, and we're removing that house, and he's clearing the land and the trees so we can get grass started over there. And, you know, every time I go over to see him, he's always talking about our church. He goes to a different church in the community, but he's always talking about our church, and he's so excited to be able to do this for us because he's so grateful for the ministry that we've had. He said, you know, it's just amazing how you've grown and I think of what you've done with the youth center and you're ministering to youth in our community and children. He goes, I know you're preaching the word and you're standing for that and he just is so pleased and he wants to do this well because of what he's seen in you and the work that you're doing or the people that he knows What a great testimony to be able to live in a way that others can see that Christ is real, that he is at work in our community. 
Now, let me ask you some questions. Take a look at that list. You know, you think, see a disciple as someone who's remaining in Christ, bearing fruit, obedient, joyful, loving. Do those things describe your life and your experience? Does God come first in your life? Have you surrendered everything to him as best as you know how? None of us do that perfectly. You know, we, we surrender ourselves to Christ and we think we've given all and then he does some work in our life and another area comes up where we go, I need to give that over too or I need to give this over. And step by step, he works in our heart. Are you growing as a disciple in each of these areas? And if not, what's the next step for you? What needs to happen so that you might grow in your love and obedience and joy in Jesus Christ? Maybe it is joining a small group or an ABF. Maybe it is stepping out to serve, getting out of your comfort zone. Or maybe it's that very first step of opening your heart and surrendering your life to Christ as Savior and Lord. What is it for you? We are called to know him, and then secondly, we are called to make him known. In the very same passage where Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, Jesus said to the disciples, do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. When Jesus said this to them, he was picking up on something that was going on in their heart. They're just thinking about the future, like maybe we'll have ministry in the future, or maybe we'll serve God then or do this or that. And Jesus is saying, right now, all around you, there are people that are hungry to know me. They were in Samaria at the time. The disciples didn't want to be in Samaria. Samaria was kind of like, those were the outcasts. Those were the people. We didn't want to go through their land, and Jesus took them right through the heart of Samaria. And then Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, and they were shaking their heads going, why is he talking with a woman? That was a social taboo. That was not what they were supposed to be doing, and here it's a Samaritan woman, and not only that, she's been an immoral woman. And he's talking to her. And Jesus opened up her life and called her to turn from her sin and follow him. And she responded and she went back to her village and she gathered all her friends and the people of the town and she said, come, come and see this man, Jesus. It was an eye-opening experience for the disciples to break down some of their prejudices and their thoughts to see that right there in that place right now were people who need to know Jesus. Fields are ripe for harvest. But how are they going to hear unless someone tells them? And how are they going to hear unless someone is sent, someone goes and actually reaches out and builds those bridges and begins to talk to them? That's our job. That's the mission of the church, to make him known. You know, in April of this year, we had our leadership meeting with our elders, all of the ministry teams, and bringing them together. And I shared some demographic information on our community. If you were to take our church and you draw a circle, a seven-mile radius around our church right now, there's about 20,000 people who live within that circle. That's roughly the Chisago Lake School District. And if you think about that group, 28% of that population never go to church, don't know Christ, have no relationship with him. 
you expand that a little bit more, there's about another third, 33%, who would say that they have a, a marginal faith involvement. They might be your Christmas and Easter Christian. They might be people who say, well, you know, um, Lutheran in background or Catholic in background or some other church. You know, I used to go, but I really don't now. So 61% of the people in our area at best have no or a marginal relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't know him as Lord and Savior. They've not grown in that relationship with him to understand what he has done for them and how much he loves them. And if you expand that circle just a little bit more, you add another three miles and do a 10-mile circle and include Forest Lake and North Branch, there's 50,000 people that are our neighbors. And out of that group, 61% don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. That's our mission field. That's right here where we live. And sometimes when we hear the Great Commission, we think, overseas, you know, distant, got to go, somebody's got to go and do that. But it starts right here. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said to the disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. And for that to happen, somebody needs to go. We need to go where the people are. Across the street. Maybe it's across our office. Maybe it's in our same classroom at school. There's a student who doesn't know Jesus. We are to baptize them. We're to introduce them to Christ so that they might believe and be baptized. And in baptism is where they self-identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we are to teach them everything that he has commanded us. That's where we come in also. That's why we know that the Great Commission was not just for the 12 disciples that he was giving that to. That's for us. Because they were to teach us to obey what Christ had commanded them. And it goes on from generation to generation. And Jesus promises that he will be with us always to the end of the age. We do not go alone. Now in our church, this is our mission statement. Go ahead and put that up. We say, we believe that God has placed us in the Chisago Lakes area to be a loving, biblical, and relevant witness to the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our mission is to glorify God by making healthy, multiplying disciples who will work together to reach the world for Jesus Christ. What we are saying by that is we believe there's a reason that you and I are here in this area, in this community, in this church. That God has called us together to know him first of all, but then to join together to make him known. And that we glorify God when we work together in unity to share the gospel and make disciples with our children, our students, with our adults. We bear witness to the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to do both. That's why we're going to speak to tough issues in our culture from the scripture and hear what God has to say. And it may not be popular, it may not be politically correct, but it is truth and we need to hear it. 
But we're also going to do that with grace because we are all sinners and we stand in need of his forgiveness and his mercy and his love. And so we're going to do that with conviction but also with compassion. If you're new to our church, this is a great Sunday to be here. This is, this is who we are. This is our commitment. This is where we are headed as a church to channel our resources and energy into glorifying God by making healthy, multiplying disciples who will work together to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Why do I keep coming back to this every year? Why do I give a message, you know, on our mission every year in the fall? It's because it is too easy for organizations and churches to drift from their mission statement. Let me give you an example. Consider this mission statement of a well-known university. They stated at their founding that our goal for our students is that they would be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. This is our mission to help our students know God and his son, Jesus Christ. Founded in 1636, this university employed exclusively Christian professors. It emphasized character formation in its students above all else. It placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers to share the gospel. Every diploma read, Truth for Christ and the Church. You've probably heard of this school. It's called Harvard University. And only 80 years after its founding, a group of New England pastors sensed that Harvard had drifted too far for their liking. So they approached a wealthy philanthropist who shared their concerns. His name was Elihu Yale. And they went to him and they founded a new university, Yale University, for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. And their motto was not just veritas, not just truth like Harvard, but Lexus Veritas, light and truth. And you look at those universities today and their legacy of academic excellence is still intact, but neither school resembles what the founders envisioned. At the 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard, Stephen Muller, a former president of Johns Hopkins University, bluntly stated, the bad news is that the university has become godless. And Larry Summers, the former president of Harvard, confessed, things divine have been central neither to my professional nor to my personal life. No room for God. They lost their mission. They moved away from the reason that they were created in the first place, for the glory of God. But it can happen to churches too. That's why we see Jesus walking among the lampstands of the churches in Revelation 1 and in 2 and 3, the words he has for the church. A church's main mission is to hold forth the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's to be a lampstand in its community into the world. And when the light of Christ goes out, when it loses that mission, it has no reason to exist. And we see that happening. That's why, you know, many churches have closed. That's why churches or denominations have drifted so far away that they have stopped proclaiming the good news of the gospel. They've lost their course. We want to stay on task. We want to stick to what it is that God has called us to be and to do. The measure of a church is not the size of its attendance. 
It's not the budget. It's not the size of the building. It is the kind of people that we are becoming in Jesus Christ. Are we becoming disciples? And are we making disciples of Jesus Christ? And what is your role in that? I mean, each of us have been given gifts to use in building up the kingdom of God. And some of those will be in that kind of direct ministry, and some will be behind the scenes in terms of what they are doing. But all of us have a role to play in that. And what if each of us just had one person that we were mentoring or discipling? What if we were building our life into just one other person? Think of the impact that that could have in our community and in our world. We never know how God may use us when we do that. Let me give you an example. According to Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, the person who has had the single greatest impact on addressing global poverty in the last 25 years is a largely unknown World Vision staffer named Steve Reynolds. In 1985, young Steve was working in Ethiopia, and he was there during one of the worst famines ever in Africa, and he wanted the world to hear about it. And so he was doing his best to alleviate suffering, but also to document what was going on that he might provoke the world to action, to notice and respond. And one day he got a call from the headquarters, and they asked him if he would be willing to host a young European couple, Allie and Paul Hewson, who wanted to visit and learn firsthand what was happening. Steve said, sure. And Allie and Paul came out. They stayed almost a month, rolling up their sleeves to help and showing tireless compassion. Paul was a musician, so he entertained the kids by writing little songs. And Paul and Allie finally went home, but not before they had committed to do whatever they could do to help. You may know Paul better by his nickname, Bono. And since that trip in 1985, Bono, the lead singer of U2, has traveled the globe as an advocate for the poorest of the poor. He has met with kings and queens, presidents, prime ministers, and the pope. He's lobbied members of parliaments and congresses. He's persuaded governments to appropriate billions of dollars of aid to help the poor. Now here is Steve, just going about his ministry, serving where God called him to serve, and got a call one day and said, hey, Steve, would you be willing to host this couple? And he did. He was just being faithful, not knowing the impact that that would have on their life and the world. And honestly, we never know how God may use us when we follow him. We don't know what the ripple effects will be. We don't know what's going to happen in the lives of those children, those students, those adults that we are working with today. We don't know what he might do in our life in the future, but if we're faithful and we follow him and we say, Lord, here I am. My highest desire is to do your will. I want to know you. I want to get to know you better. And I want to make you known as best as I can. When we do that, God can use us in extraordinary ways for his honor and glory. That's our calling. What is your role in that? If you're not familiar with our mission statement or our core values, I'd urge you to take a look at those again. They're online, or you could stop by the welcome desk in the foyer and ask for a copy of those and take a look 
because honestly, they are what drives us. This is our mission. This is where we stand. This is what we are committed to. And we invite you to join us in that mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that on these things that are so important to life and ministry, we don't have to guess or try to figure them out. Your word is absolutely clear. And Lord, I pray that this would be a year of significant growth in our life. I pray that we would be available for you to use us in this community and to serve you around the world. And I thank you for what you've done already, for the way that you have grown our church and ministry, for the way that you've touched our lives. And Father, I pray, and maybe this is where we all need to start, that we would just simply ask, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today, this week, this year? Who's the person that you want me to reach out to? Maybe it's to build a relationship to that they might come to know Christ. Maybe it's to mentor, disciple, or encourage. But Lord, who's that person that you want me to have an impact in this year? Father, thank you for what you're going to do in advance. And we pray this all for your glory. Amen.